the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Every bit of that. Seven minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock and hour number two is underway on this free for all Friday, the 13th morning. No jokes. 13th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2021. Like I said, there's enough bad luck going on. We don't need to do Friday the 13th things on the air this morning. Uh, bad luck in mandatory vaccines. Bad luck in mandatory masking. Bad luck at, in the uh, stripping of American liberty. Their medical privacy rights, their medical choice rights, all so that government can grow. Now, I took the United States Senate Republicans to task in a big, big way earlier this week. I even yelled at Congressman Jim Jordan about it, even though he's not in the Senate. But I was so angered by the 19 sellouts in the Republican Party in the Senate that voted to go along with the infrastructure joke, uh, which greenlit the... um, uh, the uh, f- framing of the $3.5 trillion human infrastructure plan that the Democrats passed at 4 o'clock in the morning to uh, begin discussion and debate on. Just disgusted that the Republicans cannot get it right in the United States Senate. Well, one of those 19 turncoats was Rob Portman. He can't get out fast enough for me and for conservatives all over this state. The question is, is when he goes, will he be replaced by another squish? Another rhino, or will we get a true conservative senator in that seat? Joining us now to discuss that very plan, and he says he's got the right guy, is Indiana Congressman from Indiana's 3rd Congressional District Representative, Jim Banks. Joining us now here on AM 1420, The Answer in Cleveland, Ohio. Mr. Banks, good to have you, sir. How are you this morning? Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's uh, it's great to have you, especially because you're taking an interest in what's going on here in your neighbor to the east. Um, you know, we've got a Senate seat open. You're in the other chamber, obviously, with my friend uh, Jim Jordan, whom we talk to once a week on this program. But you, you're getting involved in the Ohio Senate race. Before you tell me who you're endorsing, can you tell me why you feel the need to make an endorsement for another state? Well, uh, two, two, for two reasons. One, one, it matters in Indiana what happens in. Senate races in states like Ohio. You're, you're right. Are we going to replace squishy, moderate Republican senators who are in, always inclined to do the wrong thing with uh, rock-ribbed uh, conservative senators who we can count on to do the right thing? Uh, the other reason I'm, in, I'm, I'm taking a stand in Ohio, as the, I'm the, by the way, I'm the leader of the Republican Study Committee, the largest conservative caucus in the House, a group that, that Jim Jordan used to be the chairman of back in the mm-hmm. day, uh, Steve Scalise, Mike Mike Pence, and others have led that group. Uh, we're frustrated uh, as House conservatives when we see uh, uh, Republicans in the Senate do what they did last week and lead us down the path to the biggest socialist package we've ever seen passed. But the, re- the reason I've taken a stand in Ohio is uh, you- you've got a candidate in Ohio who represents uh, the new uh, conservative flavor that we need in the Republican Party to make the Republican Party the, the permanent 
party in power to win back majorities and get a Republican back in the White House. We need to learn the most important lesson and accept the most important gift that Donald Trump gave us, and that's cementing the Republican Party as the party of the working class, not the party of Wall Street, but the party of Main Street, not the party of big business and multinational corporations, but the party that puts American workers first. And I think you have a candidate in Ohio that represents that better than any candidate that I can find in the country. Well, let's talk about that in a moment. Um, clearly, you have more in common with Jim Jordan than just uh, the uh, Republican Study Committee, which is huge. Your conservative bona fides are, are, are clear and, and well-deserved. Um, but you said we need a rock-ribbed conservative rather than another Republican squish in that Senate seat. Um, I'm looking at this field of candidates, and I'm looking at some polling, and I don't know if the individual that you are endorsing has the reputation yet of being that rock-ribbed conservative. So now's your chance. Congressman Jim Banks, tell us why you are endorsing the gentleman you are endorsing as that conservative. Yeah, I'm supporting J.D. Vance uh, for the United States Senate because I know him. Uh, let me tell you a, a really quick uh, anecdote of why. A few months ago, I wrote a memo uh, that you can find at workingclassgop.com, again, about how to cement the Republican Party as a, working, as a party of the working class. The first phone call I got in America, uh, before I heard from a lot of other people, got a lot of attention, was from J.D. Vance, I mean, who wrote the book, Hillbilly Elegy, who understands, I believe, where the Republican Party needs to go to keep blue-collar, working-class voters in the Republican Party. It's trade deals that put American workers first. It's securing the border, the border and putting, uh, implementing immigration policies that put American workers first. It's, it's uh, foreign policy that, that puts America first. J.D. Vance, his platform represents that certainly better than any other candidate running for the Senate in Ohio. But I, I contend to you, when I look around the country, I don't, I don't find another candidate who understands America first as well as J.D. Vance does. And that, that's the platform. You are gonna, you all in Ohio are going to get to know him very well over the next uh, year and a half on the campaign trail. And I think this, uh, his agenda, his platform, is the, exactly the platform that the Republican Party needs to adopt. Moving, We can't go back to being the Republican Party of the Bush-Cheney, Mitt Romney, John McCain years. We need to continue to be the party of Donald Trump and, and JD, JD Vance's reputation and his platform uh, identify with that better than any candidate that I can find in the country. Okay, that's uh, that's an interesting and a very strong statement that, of course, deserves uh, some more explanation and challenge because the reputation that J.D. has among a lot of Trump supporters is not one of being a Trump supporter and being a, an America First supporter. So let me, let me we're talking with Congressman Jim Banks, by the way, Indiana's 3rd Congressional District. He's endorsing J.D. Vance for what will be our vacant Senate seat when Rob uh, Portman is done. I talked to J.D. about a month ago uh, on this program, and I asked him, of course, as so many other people have, about his previous anti-Trump statements and some statements about Trump supporters that were less than flattering as well. Um, you know, and he, he said, look, I was wrong five years ago, um, and, and I certainly have changed my tune on that. I look back at what Donald Trump has done, and I'm a supporter now. But a lot of what he said went into the term. It wasn't just in the primary. It wasn't just because he supported somebody else in the primary. It continued on into the term. So... How did you, Jim Banks, come to the conclusion that 
the the rock ribbed conservatism America first pro Trump candidate. The best guy for that is JD. Given you know that that reputation you, you just spoke of. Yeah, let, let me let me tell you, um, JD's uh, uh, recognition is a lot like. I mean, his his uh, his his story is really just like mine. I mean, I, over four years, I became one of the most ardent defenders of President Trump. Um, I believe he's the most effective president of my lifetime, and I'll go to my grave defending that and defending the the great work that he did as president. But I, but I, I didn't always feel that way either. I mean, and I, and like a lot of Americans, like a lot of conservatives, um, it, before Donald Trump became president, I was very skeptical. I I said things then that I disagree with now about President Trump. After giving him a chance, after watching him fight every day, like he fought. For this country and for America First policies, I saw firsthand because I had front row seat. I came, I came to Washington. I came to Congress when Donald Trump was elected. I was elected in 2016, like he was. I didn't support him in the in the primary. I supported Ted Cruz in the primary. Ted Cruz said a lot of things about Donald Trump that that uh, today he would uh, he would say that he disagrees with at this point after giving Donald Trump a chance. And I, I've I've seen the I've seen the statements that. J.D. Vance has said, and, and I, I, I forgive him for those statements because I, I, I identify with how he felt four or five years ago compared to how uh, he feels today. But aside from that, before you move on from that, if you would, sir, before you move on from that, I want I wanted to, to to also follow up as I did with JD of not just his comments about the president, but his comments about the president's supporters and voters. Um, he told me, and this became something of a media issue. He told me in my interview with him that he never called uh, Trump supporters vile racists, and then uh, audio and video and messaging of that turned up of those words. And you know, he reached out to me after to say, you know, here's the context of that. But again. That's the kind of thing that I know as I talk to um, Ohio Republican conservative voters every day about this Senate race, and we talk about J.D. and Josh Mandel and Mike Gibbons and all of the candidates, that continues to come back. That's something that sticks with them. It's one thing to criticize Trump and then back from that. It's another thing to criticize Trump voters and being as being terrible people. Uh, that, that's yeah, a well, little tougher to come Let, let me say this. I, with all due respect, I mean, I've, I've, I've watched those comments as well. He didn't say... He didn't say bad things about every Trump voter or every Trump supporter. He, and he's going to have to defend what he said on the campaign show. But always remember this. J.D. Vance is not a politician. He, this is the first time he's ever run for office. And he, he didn't spend his entire life and, and career uh, 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 thinking that one day he was going to run for the Senate and, couch, and carefully couching everything that he said because he, think, he thought that one day all of his words would be attacked and taken out of context and and uh, carefully scripting who he was and, and, and what he said. I, and that's why it's easy for me to forgive statements or comments that he made four, five, three, four, five years ago, because I'm, I'm a lot more concerned in, in, about who, what, who J.D. Vance is today and what his platform and agenda are. And I can tell you his agenda is, is exactly what my agenda is, and advocating for America First policies. And I, I'm telling you, I've I'm just telling you, the time I've spent with him, the, con- the many conversations that he and I have had together, he gets it. He gets fundamentally not just where the Republican Party needs to go from here to be the, the, the majority party, but where our country needs to go, how we advocate America first policies and put blue collar working class, put an agenda together that puts mm-hmm. blue collar working class Americans, Americans first. And he wrote the book on it. I mean, his book, his book identifies with that 
in a way that I think gives him a foundation and a, a fundamental place to, to start from. And he's going to be a great United States senator and, a, and an advocate for the America First policies that you and I yeah, agree I, with. I'm a strong believer in context, too, believe me. That's why everything that he said, he and I engaged in a pretty lengthy text conversation in which he provided that context, and I was more than happy to, to share it, and I told him he's got an open invitation to come back on and provide all of that context. So believe me, I'm with you on that. I don't want anybody to be hamstrung by the words until they have a chance to explain them. Now, having said all of that, last thing on J.D., and I'm going to ask you about the January 6th committee. Um, you know, you described you know the GOP and that JD would be one of those who brings it to back to being the party of the main party of Main Street and not the party of Wall Street. What about the party of Tech Street, the party of Silicon Valley Street? Because JD obviously has very deep ties to Peter Thiel and the tech moguls uh, in Silicon Valley with Facebook and so on and so forth. Most people, I in fact, I'll tell you, I'm an enemy of Facebook. They just banned me for three days. I'm on a three day suspension. Uh, Congratulations, Jim Banks, for posting in your state for posting Dr. Dan Stock's <laughs> video of his his uh, address to the uh, to the Mount Vernon School District Board. I posted that, and they banned me for um, misinformation and posting things that could be harmful to people's health. So I don't like Facebook. A lot of us don't like big tech and what they do to us conservatives. J.D.'s got some ties there. Your thoughts on that? Well, keep in mind that Peter, when it comes to Peter Thiel, he's the, he's the big tech guy who's anti-big tech. Uh, get, so give him, give him credit because he's on the right side. Peter Thiel is a pro, pro-Trump uh, uh, conservative Republican uh, who, who happens to be in big tech and successful in Silicon Valley. But he's the anti-Silicon Valley big tech uh, a guy who who comes from there, so give him a little bit of credit for that. But uh, when it comes to these issues, I mean, J- JD has uh, he'll have a chance over the next year to, year or so before your primary to explain where he's coming from. Like me, he believes that we need to make uh, we need to crack down using antitrust laws and, and break up these big tech companies. And that that's the that's where there's a divide in the Republican Party. Not all conservatives believe that. Some some conservatives believe that we should. They believe that, that the free market should apply to these big tech companies. J.D. Vance and I don't. We believe that antitrust laws should break them up. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the most powerful way that we can prevent the, these, these big tech companies from taking over our elections, taking over our society, taking over our economy and our country, is to break them up with uh, antitrust laws. And, and that, that's where J.D. Vance stands. We're talking to Indiana Congressman Jim Banks. Last thing I do want to ask you about, I mentioned, obviously, a few moments ago, you've got more in common with uh, Jim Jordan than just the Republican Study Committee. You were the two Republicans booted by Nancy Pelosi after being appointed by Kevin McCarthy to that select committee. Um, it, it is atrocious. I'm glad Kevin McCarthy did what he did and pulled all of the Republicans from that committee, let them hold their own dog and pony show. What is your view and opinion as to the reason why you were yanked from that committee? Well, it's pretty obvious. I mean, Jim Jordan and I are the two guys that were, were uh, gearing up to ask the tough questions nobody else wants to ask about why the Capitol was vulnerable on January 6th and making the direct link that a speaker, it, it all happened on Speaker Pelosi's watch. I mean, she, she has oversight of the U.S. Capitol Police. She appoints the sergeant at arms who sits on the, cap, the, the three-member Capitol Police board that, that oversees the United States Capitol Police. So, why did the why did the head of the Capitol Police Union tell Jim Jordan and I and, and others that that uh, the Capitol Police uh, leadership didn't prepare them for what was going to happen that day? Didn't equip them, give them the the proper equipment, 
and uh, didn't train them for what was going to happen that day. We, we were going to ask questions like that. Pelosi saw that that was coming and decided to veto uh, Jim Jordan and I specifically from serving on the committee. At first, I didn't know what to think about it, and then I came home to Northeast Indiana, and everywhere I go, I get standing ovations. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Pelosi cemented my reelection for a long time to come, uh, but the more serious part of this is that it exposes that this this sham for what it is, that this, this, was, this was meant to be a political stunt from the beginning. So uh, Pelosi vetoed Jim Jordan and I. By the way, I'm going to do everything that I can to veto Nancy Pelosi. You can go to vetopelosi.com, vetopelosi.com, to learn more about how you can help me send Nancy Pelosi into retirement once and for all. Well, I think we would all appreciate that. If you could manage to pull that off, uh, I'll help in any way necessary. Um, I believe Speaker, or excuse me, Leader McCarthy, I wish he was Speaker, uh, said something about we're going to conduct our own inquiry into what happened that day, uh, where we're not going to call it an insurrection because that's not what it was. Um, Are you aware of what's happening with that inquiry, investigation, committee, so that we can actually see the other side of things? Yeah, give, give McCarthy credit. He, he knows how to fight back, and he understood in this case that we're not going to legitimize a stunt on Pelosi that on Pelosi's watch like this mm-hmm. one. So he said, "We're not going. We're just not going. If you're not going to take Jordan and Jim Banks on the committee, we're not going to participate." So we'll, we will do our own, lead our own effort, and uh, Leader McCarthy's still working his way with, through what that will look like. But Jim Jordan and I and others will be a big part of it, and uh, at some point working on publishing a report and, and continuing to ask these questions that Pelosi doesn't want to, doesn't want to do anything to answer. I mean, she wants it to be all about, I mean, it's, she's transparent. This is all about dragging Donald Trump through the mud, Republicans through the mud, and the millions of Americans who voted for Donald Trump through the mud. It's not about ever, it's not about seeing that something like January 6th never happens again. It's all designed to beat up on Republicans, which, by the way, Kinzinger and, and Liz Cheney, <laughs> they are now operating in a situation where they're they're a part of an effort to prevent Republicans from winning back the House majority. They're a part of it. They would rather have Nancy Pelosi as the speaker than Kevin McCarthy as the speaker. You gotta, if you come from Illinois or, or uh, Wyoming, you got to scratch your head and wonder why why is my Republican so-called Republican member of Congress a part of an effort that is trying to keep Nancy Pelosi in the speaker's chair? I, I, I know where I come from. That wouldn't last. That, that wouldn't work very well. Yeah, they're double agents. They're Democrats working on behalf of the Democrats, infiltrating the Republicans and pretending to be one. And now, of course, their cover has been blown, so they're sitting on that committee just being Democrats. Uh, wow, Jim Banks, I really appreciate your time, Congressman Banks. Uh, you are a rock-ribbed conservative. You are one of the strongest conservative voices in the House, and I appreciate and respect your endorsement of J.D. Vance as a rock-ribbed conservative for the United States Senate. Thanks for explaining your position to us. We certainly appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Good to be with you. Good to talk to you. All right, that's Jim Banks on AM 1420, The Answer. How do you feel about that? He says J.D. is the guy. He's talked to him. He's met him. He believes that his current platforms and policies are the right ones for the conservative movement. Forget about the stuff you've heard in the past. Uh, I will take him at his word. Uh, This is a fight. It's going to be a big fight all the way up to that primary election. 1026. We'll be right back. Okay, it's 10.30. We're going to get to our news now. And on the other side of the news, we're going to come back and dig more into the ORP and their 
A uh, little scam, as far as I'm concerned, in supporting Mike DeWine again for governor and uh, essentially screwing anybody else who wants to get involved in the GOP primaries. We're going to talk about that. And Ohio Stands Up is pushing very, very hard. We need your help to uh, get the evidence that we need of harm done to Ohioans by the DeWine policies. If you are harmed economically, physically, or emotionally by lockdowns and other procedures put in place, you're going to want to hear the next interview, and you're going to want to be a part of this. Stay here on AM 1420, The Answer. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1036, thanks for being with us. Thanks again to Congressman Jim Banks for his... Uh, uh, lengthy explanation, very detailed, too, about why he believes J.D. Vance is the rock-ribbed conservative that we need to replace Rob Portman in the United States Senate. So I appreciated that. Uh, great interview in the uh, first half hour of the program as well. And I'm really pleased now to welcome uh, two people uh, representing two different organizations working toward the same goals. Jessica Franz is with Ohio Stands Up. That's Tom Renz's organization that I have spoken with, that I have worked with, that I have helped raise funds for, uh, and I'm very supportive of uh, she is working with Ohio stands up as well as um, with the Ohio Legal Action Center and we'll tell you what and why in a moment Jess good morning how are you I'm doing great thanks Bob good to have you and then also joining us from the um, from the uh, committee for a better Ohio is the policy director for that organization John Morrow John good morning how are you I'm very good thanks for having me Good to have you both here. Obviously, I spoke yesterday with you, Jess, in prepping all of this, and I'm glad I was able to get you both on because there's two very important agenda items that we want to discuss this morning on the air. We're going to start with um, the uh, affidavits that you are seeking. Jess, let's talk about the Ohio Legal uh, Action Center and talk about what we are attempting to do here. This state has, as we know, for you know the last 15, you know, Probably more for the eight or nine or ten months of of twenty twenty things started to open up this spring, but still even into the early months of twenty twenty one the state of Ohio caused all kinds of problems for the citizens, for businesses, for employees, for school students, for worshipers, and so on and so forth with their drastic uh, overreaction and big government steps in response to covid nineteen you are looking, and the Ohio uh, uh, Committee for, uh, excuse me, I keep getting all of these organizations mixed up, the Ohio Legal Action Center, are looking for examples how, of how people have been harmed. Can you tell us more about that effort? Sure. So we're looking for people who have been harmed by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's emergency public health order. So what we are essentially proposing is a, a writ of prohibition and a writ of mandamus. And what this is, is it's essentially a petition for relief from the court. So we're asking the court to compel the governor or any uh, elected official to either do something or to stop doing something. In this case, we're asking the court to protect the power of the judicial branch. For instance, when we look at the Ohio uh, Liquor Control Commission this past year and how they were setting up tribunals to enforce these emergency health orders. Well, they, those don't have anything to do with the liquor control. So that's where these guys are out of their jurisdiction and they're impending on separation or power between the judicial and executive branch. And they're actually interfering with 
support activity. So not only do we have the um, the governor here usurping the authority of the legislative branch because he does not have the power to suspend law. And we would argue that that is exactly um, what he did. He suspended law by suspending due process and the equal application of law and contained within the Ohio Bill of Rights in Article 1, Section 18, uh, there is no power of suspending laws can ever be exercised except by the General Assembly. And we would argue that the governor has acted to suspend law by suspending due process and equal application of the law by forcibly compelling individuals to wear masks through threat of fine, expulsion, imposing health mandates on business owners and patrons, picking and choosing which businesses were essential and which were not. So what we want to do is um, we want to propose this writ of mandamus and prohibition to the Ohio Supreme Court, and we do need um, to show standing, and we need to show injuries. Um, and so we need individuals who have been harmed economically. Let, let, me, let me interrupt for a second. Let me interrupt for yeah. a second. We'll come back to those uh, writs, or excuse me, those uh, affidavits that you're looking for people to submit uh, in order to get this writ filed. Uh, but I just want to respond to the first part. Some will say, critics of yours, defenders of the governor would say, you you are useless right now because uh, the legislature already passed something. They already passed something. It was vetoed by DeWine. It was overridden. That says any orders that the governor gives in the future with respect to pandemics or health emergencies or whatever expire in 30 days would be subject to a review and a vote of the legislature in order to continue it. Isn't that enough for you? That's what they'll say. How do you respond to that? Uh, I would respond that that's not going to, first of all, that's not going to do anything for the individuals and the businesses who were harmed over the last um, 18 months by the overreaching and unconstitutional mandates. So um, you have individuals who are denied access to health care. You have individuals whose businesses were crushed under the weight of this overreach. Mm-hmm. Um, you have countless individuals who were harmed uh, in nursing homes and were prevented from seeing their their loved ones on their deathbeds. So where is the legal remedy for those individuals over the past uh, year and a half since since this action was taken by the governor that he had no right to take? Um, he had no so, constitutional authority to take. So this is as much about, um, as you say, kind of getting relief for uh, injuries already suffered uh, as much as it is about stopping things like this from being repeated in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, got it. Now let's talk about these affidavits. I see on the on the web page for Committee for a Better Ohio, and I encourage people to check this out. Committee for a Better Ohio dot com. There's a link there to the Ohio Legal Action Center page, and I do see three forms: economic injury affidavit, physical injury affidavit, and mental injury affidavit. Tell me what you need. So we do have example affidavits for each type of those injuries up on the website. If individuals aren't exactly sure. Um, if they have questions with that, what does that look like? So for the economic injury, those are really the, the small business owners this year that were told they were not essential and would need to shut their doors while other businesses were allowed to remain open and uh, other larger businesses. And those individuals that lost their jobs or um, wages were significantly altered businesses that had to declare bankruptcy for lack of sales due to the social distancing mandate, um, reduced sales due to curfews and social distancing mandates. So 
that's an example of the type of um, economic injury we're talking about. Physical injury affidavit, uh, those are anyone, anybody that's endured uh, suffering, pain due to not having access to health care. Um, you were denied health care. It was hindered by the emergency public health orders. Um, survivors that are ex- executors of an estate of someone that died due to not having timely access to health care mm-hmm. that was caused, again, by Ohio's public health orders or conditions that were worsened, um, health conditions that were wor- worsened due to not having act- timely access to health care that they needed at that time. Mental injury affidavit, these are individuals that had uh, developed anxiety or depression as a result of the Ohio Emergency Public Health Orders. Um, I talked to a lot of parents with um, students specifically who have suffered mental injury due to these types of uh, masking orders and social distancing orders in the school. Uh, individuals that were. Uh, I, I would suggest. I, I would suggest, Jess. I apologize, but I want to get John in here. Oh no uh, too. Um, But I would suggest there are thousands and thousands of students who could write uh, affidavits uh, uh, for toward their, you know, their emotional injuries, mental injuries they suffered here. Yeah. They were kept out of school. Seniors were kept out of school for their senior years. They were forced to, to, yeah. to attend school on laptops. Uh, they missed their, their seasons for those who were athletes, opportunities to earn scholarships and go on to perform yeah, in college. Good. All of these things yanked away from thousands and thousands, if not millions of Ohio students, I would think, they would all want to be a part of this and would all want to say, you stole so much of our lives uh, with these unnecessary decisions uh, with respect to lockdowns, with respect to school closures. And then on top of that, the physical things like the masking, uh, you know, that they were forced to do that had physical and uh, mental or emotional impact on children from from all ages. I would think that that would be enough. Uh, just from the school aspect, not to mention, as you point out, all of the businesses that suffered, many of them closed forever, jobs that were lost forever, others that were laid off and caused serious economic harm, all of that stuff. You would think that we'd yeah. be a ton of Ohioans who can do this. So let me bring John in. And, John, before we um, talk about reforming the ORP, which I know you have a very, very lengthy response to the letter of uh, uh, Bob Paduchik yesterday, uh, your thoughts on what we just talked about and the importance of getting these affidavits filed? Um, the affidavits give us standing, and that's one of the largest problems in pursuing any type of a court case is to be able to have standing. Uh, when we look at the law, it's, it's very clear that the governor broke the law. Uh, he acted in an unconstitutional manner, and so... Uh, since he was not working underneath the emergency powers of the state when he uh, implemented these, because our Constitution does not allow him to wield those emergency powers to suspend law, um, he, you know, he and the the state are liable, uh, and they must, you know, provide compensation. But it's always how do we show that we have standing, and the more people that we have go on that uh, submit up to us an affidavit or a petition of affidavit, um, which is essentially a promise to provide a, uh, an affidavit if we request it. Um, that helps us show standing. It helps show that this is a issue that is a large issue that affected many Ohioans and that uh, should help it push to be seen in court. 
Yeah, and that's all extraordinarily important, and I'm glad to hear both of you bring this up. You need standing in order to get this writ uh, accomplished and in order to try to, to advance this and get some some justice, some financial justice or whatever it is that can happen here for those who have suffered under, as you say, uh, these unconstitutional and unlawful orders that were given by the governor and by the State Board of Health. It's it's Department of Health. It is exactly that. Yeah. It is unlawful. Um, so we're talking with Jess Franz as well as uh, John Morrow, who is the policy director of uh, um, I keep forgetting all these committee uh, for a better committee Ohio. for a better Ohio. I keep looking at the other page though, your, your page uh, coming off of that, the Ohio Legal Action Center. So sorry about that. So there is the Ohio Legal Action Center, which is a part of the Committee for a Better Ohio. Now it's with that um, umbrella uh, organization, Committee for a Better Ohio, that you responded yesterday to Bob Paduchik's letter uh, or his statement or uh, his explanation of the nearly $900,000 that they decided to give to Mike DeWine and John Husted for their reelection campaign in two different types of payments. Uh, he says, mind your business. This is how it's always been done. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He says, this is how it's always been done. Uh, you know, we have a history of, of supporting and endorsing and, uh, uh, incumbent Republicans in state offices. And uh, this money is uh, statutorily available, and uh, it's up to the chairman. I can give the money basically to whomever I wish. Uh, this is what the bylaws say. And anybody who doesn't understand that uh, then shouldn't be commenting on this at all. You wrote a very impassioned and very... I think, well-researched and argued response to that. Can you tell us more? Well, yes. I, I mean, when you look at the response of the Ohio Republican Party and even most state central committee members, state central committee members tend to live in fear of our chairman. They look at if they say the least little thing that does not agree with him, that they will have retribution brought down upon them. They'll be ostracized. They'll be marginalized. They won't be allowed to uh, speak at at a meeting. And that's one thing that we look at. If there is a longstanding tradition, it is of a chairman um, intimidating uh, state central committee members so that the will of the people doesn't shine through. And what we have is a part, we have a party that represents the will of the chairman and not the will of uh, Republicans. Very few times do they ask, you know, hey, what, what's happening in your uh, community? Does your community support Mike DeWine? Does it support Jim Renacci? Does it support Joe Blystone? They don't ask those uh, type of questions. The chairman doesn't ask those types of questions. And we see that our state central committee people don't do the things that state central committee people should do. Uh, every one of them should be at uh, at, a, at a county central committee meeting every time there is one so that they can report back to the state central committee what the thoughts and feelings are and what's going on in their district. Uh, they they just don't do that. And so when, when you have a lackadaisical state central committee that really doesn't know their job, doesn't really know that Bob Paduchek works for them and, uh, rather than uh, them working for him, uh, you have this where uh, essentially Bob Paduchek can do anything that he wants to. But we have some state central committee members that are waking up. They're standing up for what their rights are, what the bylaws say. Uh, and uh, hopefully we will have some state central committee members that will uh, file uh, affidavits uh, with the 
Ohio Elections Commission to show that there was wrongdoing. The law was clearly broken. Uh, and again, I, I correct you in that uh, there was $870,000 that was given to Mike DeWine. Uh, as of last night, when I pulled the most current numbers for Dave Yost, there was uh, over $600,000 given to uh, Dave Yost. The total is uh, $1,590,000 and some odd cents that was given to uh, both of those candidates, which mm-hmm. uh, out of all the money that was given, that's 93% of the money. And when you look at this state candidate fund, is for all the statewide candidates plus all the Ohio legislators. So there's none of these legislators getting any of that money. It's all going to uh, Mike DeWine and to, places, to right. um, and and to Dave Yost. In his response yesterday, uh, Paducek said, "This is not an endorsement. This does not uh, mean we've endorsed anybody. Just the fact that we've given again five hundred thousand dollars in in one contribution and then three hundred ninety four thousand plus more in in kind contribution. So he says now that doesn't mean we've endorsed anybody because the deadline for filing for to run is isn't until February second. So all of this is 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 much ado about nothing. How do you respond to that? How is that not a de facto endorsement?" I think that it's uh, ridiculous to characterize it as not being an endorsement. Of course it's an endorsement. It may not be an official endorsement, but it is an endorsement. That money that has went to them, you know, let's look at the scenario where you give, you know, know, over $1.5 million to two candidates. Now what happens if the state central committee meets and they don't endorse them? Now you've just thrown that money away. You flushed it down the the toilet. How is that a good use of of our money? And where does it in the uh, state central committee bylaws say that the um, that the chairman can make such uh, has such discretion? It doesn't. I've read them, and while the Ohio Republican bylaws look like they were written by a two year old. For as many grammatical uh, spellings and, and uh, misspelled words that are, are put in there, and that they paid a lot of money to a very prestigious law firm for, they're they're very vague, but they're very specific on how uh, money is to be spent. And mm-hmm. he's not allowed to spend any money unless it's been duly authorized by proper resolution of the state central committee, and even calls out what you know an endorsement is and it also says in there that money is not to be spent in a primary unless it's, a candidate has been duly endorsed and if they're not spending money in preparation for the primary i don't know what they're doing that's exactly um, what it is because you know the biggest threat is going to come from his primary challenger jim renacy and no disrespect to joe blystone or anybody else who may file before now in february 2nd but it is completely and blatantly unfair uh to uh to jim mm-hmm. renacy to give that money before a primary it is not an endorsed candidate and uh you know every everything else what quite a rackage you've got there you've got the state uh, central committee members terrified of the uh the chairman and yet the chairman uh can do what he wants unless the state central committee members actually vote 
out to uh, to 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 challenge that. So it's it's a pretty good racket that he's got there, and that's why the ORP must be reformed. Um, we're out of time. More information on what they are doing is available at the website, which is Committee for a Better Ohio. It's Committee for all spelled out for a better Ohio.com. Go to the webpage. Find your way also, as I mentioned, to the Ohio Legal Action Center. Make sure you also support Ohio Stands Up as these organizations are working very hard to get these affidavits filed. Go to that page, the Ohio Legal Action Center page on Committee for a Better Ohio, and click the affidavit forms. Fill them out if you know of anybody or yourself and your family who have been injured by the Ohio uh, illegal and unlawful policies, economically, physically, or mentally. Just friends, uh, John, uh, uh, John Morrow, thank you both very much for fighting for the people and for coming on this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you both. God bless. 1055, last segment coming up. Okay, I don't have a ton of time left, unfortunately, but let me get a one more phone call from Reggie. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Reggie, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, I was just a little concerned about J.D. Vance. He's going around saying he's a changed man after his anti-Trump days when he called Trump racist and Trump supporters vile racist. And now he's saying that he's changed. I'm really concerned because I was four years ago, and it's not a term six years. You know, I really think he's kind of a Trojan force for rhino policy. You know, that's what a lot of people say, and that's the reason I challenge Jim Banks about that. You know, as as a strong conservative as he is, and he's got a lot of conservative supporters, Jim Banks does, for him to say that J.D. Vance is truly conservative and is truly different than the way it's been portrayed from previous years, that he's putting his own reputation on the line there. But I agree with you. There's a lot there that J.D. has to answer for and has to prove. It's all about the walk, not the talk anymore. Prove that he's uh, as conservative as he says he is and that he's truly a Trump supporter now. Now, and that he really made a mistake before. Uh, that's that's really that's going to be his mission between now and uh, primary day. All right, Reggie. Thanks for the call, my friend. I just realized I can't let you answer because the show's over. We'll talk to y'all Monday. Bye bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 